1: So welcome to Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, mini episode 28.5, where we go over the stuff that we didn't get time to talk about during our regular episode. I'm Michael,
2: and I'm Steven.
1: And let's dive into the top 10 list for November 1993.
2: It's a lot of the same, but we can comment on the newer ones.
1: Okay, cool. So number 10 is Batman 500 with Azriel on the cover, nearly looking as if he's about to kill Bane. (laughs) And so what the caption says is, looking over the complete top 10 this month, it's interesting to note that no Valiant or Image Comics made the chart at all really is it really that big of a surprise well (laughs) Um, they're they're huge
3: i guess they are huge ever
1: i guess so actually with the exception of prime every book is marvel and dc anyway batman 500 makes the chart for the obvious reason it's a giant sized 64 pages rematch between bane and batman The Azrael Batman, obviously. And the story and art are really fantastic. And the cover, while it is a godforsaken gimmick, as they wrote... I don't even know why it's a gimmick. I mean, because the cover they're showing is not the cover that I'm thinking of. Was it, that a, fall- has...
2: Was it a fold-out cover?
1: So the, the, the Batman 500 that I have, it's, you know, Bruce Wayne Batman on the thing, but then it's it's kind of like cut in a way that you can open the inside and Azrael is underneath him. The picture that they're showing is a different cover. It must have been a, a a variant of some sort because this isn't the one that I'm thinking of when I think of Batman 500. Yeah,
2: this, um, is, I, this one looks familiar to me. I think I have this one.
1: The one that I have is, is the one that is is a gimmick and it does fold out like it's got like a tear away and you you reveal it and you'll see the new batman underneath the cover and not that you can tell from this picture ah they're pointing it out oh okay this particular cover is die cut and folds out to reveal the new okay they have the wrong picture in the thing i was gonna say i'm like this is not the right cover for this issue, and it's kind of funny that they uh, screwed that up. Well,
2: Great there you example. go. You were right. I was
1: right. That's what I thought. Okay,
2: so... Number nine is Superman number 82, which we also covered in last month's issue. Dan Jurgens was the artist and writer. It said, how much cooler does Superman look now that he has long hair? Moving up one notch from last month's listing is the chromium covered Superman number 82, The Return of the Man of Steel. What makes this comic so great? Well, for starters, the chromium cover is one of the sharper, though still godforsaken, gimmick (laughs) covers out there. Nice effect. (laughs) The story is great, except for the crappy ending. And the art and guest stars are fantastic. All fine and good. But since retailers were burned so bad by overordering Adventures of Superman number 500, they didn't order enough of Superman number 82, and boom, a hot book is born. This was ten last month. I'm,
1: I, oh, wow. we, I guess because it may, it yeah. may have just because just come, came out that month. I guess. Yeah, I,
2: I don't remember what. Yeah, I mean, if they're saying it's ten, then it was ten. But I remember we talked about the kind of metallic cover. Yeah, you know, that this we had. definitely but,
1: talked about it. But I, I, thought it was higher. That maybe it says it moved up from ten, so number eight, Sword of Azrael, number one, and it's they said moving down six notches from last month's listing. That's what happens when an issue's price tag. Gets a little too steep. Hmm, interesting. For the first appearance of, of Jean-Paul Valley, better known to most comic book fans as Asriel. This is all fine and good, but since Asriel replaced Bruce Wayne as Batman when Bane broke his back, sort of Asriel has taken on a whole new importance. Uh, the first issue of this new Batman pretty important issue. It was a good issue too. I remember reading it. I liked it. As an added bonus, this comic has fantastic art and a story that is easy to follow and actually makes sense. That's quite a rarity in many of today's finest comic publications. Burn.
2: Seriously. Well, when you've got Denny O'Neill writing it. That's true. So number seven was also in last month's issue, if I'm not mistaken. It's Batman number 497, the artist is Jim Aparo, the writer is Doug Munch. It says, if you want to try something kind of amusing, take an eraser and rub the picture of the cover to Batman number 497 erasing Bane's head. Pretty cool, huh? Headless (coughs) Bane. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Sniff. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Hmm. I think I'm going insane writing about the same books over and over again in this chart. Anyway, this is the issue that made news out in the real world, you know, outside the comic industry, and sent droves of hungry non-comic fans hurtling to the comic book stores where they bought up copies of the last batman story left and right that along with the all-new fans which the nightfall storylines garnered made this very historic issue very very hot
1: Uh, it's it's kind of funny that that the the writer of this article is basically dumping on the same thing that we're saying like it's a lot of the same stuff as last month but you know it might have moved a little bit (laughs) Curious. that's why
2: i loved wizard as a kid there, there was so much of that you know snarky insider joke humor you felt like yeah. you, were, you were in on the joke with them mm-hmm. i just want to say i love that the dinosaur on in batman's back cave makes like a little cameo in the.
1: <laughs> yes i do and the coin is there as well yeah, which is pretty funny
2: he's like photo bombing the picture so
1: now now I'm really curious about the eraser thing of Bane's head. Like, would that really work? I feel like it wouldn't work.
2: I think if I think you it's just, a joke. Yeah, of course, yeah. But if you <laughs> kind of nowadays, you can just Photoshop it out, and I bet it'd look pretty funny.
1: It would look pretty funny. Might <laughs> look a little awkward as well. So number six, as they mentioned, this is one of the only books that is not a DC or Marvel book in this month's issue. Is Ultra versus Prime number two. And it says, holding at the number six slot is Prime, the best title from Malibu's line of very cool Ultraverse books. Now, you may ask why this issue is on the charts, but it's not issue number one. Prime's first issue, well, Prime number one is a hot book, but since it was the first issue of an all-new line of comics, it was pretty heavily ordered. But because of that... There's plenty of copies of it out there. We all know what happens with the title's second issue. Huge order cut! (laughs) Fearing that fans will only buy the first issue of the series and then drop it. Dealers chop their orders... Big mistake with Prime and the other Ultraverse titles. I've never read Prime. I've seen pictures of it before we started doing this podcast. I'm really fascinated because everybody I bring up they're like, "Oh, do you remember Prime?" And I'm like, "No, but I know of it now." Did you ever read Prime back in the day?
2: Never, never, never. ever. It, it was just never on my on my radar. I kind of, so it's kind of like it's a bit of like a Shazam thing right last time we said that he kind of looked like the golden yellow he-man
1: yes he does kind of look like that yes
2: now i see it's called power punch he-man <laughs> so if you want to look up power punch he-man that's, that's what, what prime looks prime. like prime power so, yeah.
1: punch he-man with a cape
2: <laughs> so power punch <laughs> he-man finally got his own book congratulations power punch he-man uh <laughs> so n- number five is ren and stimpy number one this is uh, the why you wanted to do the odd numbers i bet No, no, no. We're getting there. We're getting there. Okay. Okay. Climbing four notches since last month's listing, the dynamic duo of the wiry chihuahua and the potato-shaped feline continues to be a fan favorite, proving once again that you can be an outside licensed product and still make it big in comics. The fact that Ren and Stimpy have a huge fan following due to their cartoon show, and that they have more licensed products than you can wave a shaved yak at, has helped make the comic successful. But another... Factor helped make this book. What is it? Why, it's today's magic phrase, boys and girls. Under-ordering. Yup, as we said last month, high demand plus low supply equals hot book worth big bucks ah again i thought this was kind of a fun comic book i'm not sure if this will come up later in the top 10 but do you remember the powdered toast man spider-man crossover
1: no um, i I love powdered toast man i, I love that but i did it was a like in ren and stimpy like was,
2: or in it was like in the a cartoon no, show or no it was in the comics really interesting that's pretty yeah it was patter toast man versus spider-man i guess it wasn't in the red and it was in the red and stimpy comic so it's coming up but they do some weird stuff in this comic
1: (laughs) yeah are you you shocked (laughs) that's that's pretty funny oh boy so number four is daredevil 319 which we also saw last month as well i believe Mm -hmm. hey somebody is chucking superheroes off of the empire state building cool Not really a joke you could make anymore, I don't think. Anyway, this is, this, like the Daredevil spotlighted at the number three slot is part of a very popular Fall from Grace storyline. I can't say too much more other than what I've already said. So let's talk about Seinfeld. (laughs) Okay. I'm so glad I got this because this is a, it's gold, Jerry, it's gold.
2: (laughs) I was hoping you'd get the Seinfeld one.
1: I'm pretty glad I did. What a great show. It's on Thursday nights on NBC. Check your local listings for time. And it's one of the best things on TV these days, along with The Simpsons. That's not a tie-in with the issue cover at all. I just really enjoy the show. Oh, look at that. I filled the space. Oh, my God. Serenity now. Serenity now.
2: Who (laughs) but wizard could get away with that? Right? really? It's review in the Daredevil comic section. (laughs)
1: That's pretty funny.
2: So, speaking of Daredevil, in uh, the number three spot, we have Daredevil number 320. It said, how weird is this month's top ten? Green Lantern at number one. Spoiler. Moon Knight at number two. Spoiler. Daredevil at numbers three and four. Man, the times they are a-changing. Anyway, with what appears to be a growing trend in the comic market today... This book was grossly underordered. What makes it so popular is the fact that this issue kicks off Hornhead's major revamp for the '90s, which includes his getting a new set of duds and is getting a brand new sidekick, Electra. Okay, she may not be new, but she's back from the dead, and that counts for something. And she's a ninja, and ninjas are cool. Go ask Frank, Frank Miller, if you don't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but is Electra really his sidekick? Like, she's not
1: his Robin, you know? <laughs> like,
2: no, I, I, you know, I was not. I don't. I think I read some of this storyline. I don't remember Electra's return that well, so maybe mm. she, maybe she was sidekicky. But no, I, I never saw her that way.
1: I, I always saw her kind of more like a like a partner or like a, an ally, but an ally in the sense of being like a you know, you know even even worse than Catwoman to Batman back in the day. Where like sometimes they're on the same side, but sometimes they're not. She takes things too far, you know. I don't think of them as a as a sidekick. That's a weird reference, but
2: all right, whatever. I love like it. No. It's almost like on ALF when ALF had to team up with the Akmonics. Oh, yeah, exactly like that. Because <laughs> you know, every now and again, the Akmonics would come over and they'd almost catch Alf.
3: Oh. An
1: unlikely team sometimes. <laughs> Only on this podcast will we reference Seinfeld, the
2: Simpsons, and
1: ALF <laughs> in the same conversation.
2: I'm a, little, like... I'm a little loopy. It's been a long week of work. <laughs>
1: So anyway, even though it was kind of spoiled the number three, the number two slot is Moon Knight 55. I never really read Moon Knight back in the 90s. I did pick his return up in the like mid-2000s from Marvel. I think I got the first like 8 to 12 issues or so. And it started out really strong and then it kind of just dovetailed into... A boring kind of story. But they're making it to a TV show or movie now. Oscar Isaac is going to play him. So that's kind of cool. So I'm I'm, there. There. I'm 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 on board. So anyway, it says, Wow. Oh my God. Holy crap. Todd McFarlane has left Spawn and now drawing Moon Knight. Alert the media. Wake the... Ne- oh wait, that's not McFarlane. Just an amazing simulation. All joking aside, Stephen Platt, the penciler on Moon Knight, is a pretty good artist. And while his style is reminiscent of a certain Canadian Hellspawn chronicler, fans aren't criticizing, they're buying and buying and buying. Heck, Moon Knight 55 is so hot, it went to a second printing shortly after its release, and it rose in value something like 400% it would appear Marvel has a new hot star in their stable. No, not Moon Knight, Bonehead. I'm talking about Platt. Now, I'm kinda curious. I'm gonna look real quick before we go to our number one and see if Moon Knight 55 is still a valued book because sometimes they burn bright real quick and they burn out real fast. So, Moon Knight 55. Whoa. Huh. Hmm. So a graded 9.8 is $270 on eBay. Whoa. An ungraded copy, they're listing it. People have it between around $40 to $80 ungraded. Wow. (laughs) Oh, my God.
2: Now I wish (laughs) I uh, listened to Wizard. Yeah,
1: I guess so. Be rolling in the dough.
2: So the number one book is a book I am very excited to talk about. It's Green Lantern number 46. The artist is M.D. Bright. The writer is Gerard Jones. So it says, After a lengthy lapse into predictability, the Wizard Top Ten has once again become its usual unpredictable self. The out-and-left-field popularity chart spotlighting the country's hottest books. It's just more proof that the speculative market is dying a painful death. Okay, now that I've used up some of the space I have to fill, let's get into why this copy of GL is here. Is it because Green Lantern has one of the, if not the, coolest costume in comics? Uh-huh. Is it because Bane shows up and beats up on some rich guy in a Halloween costume? Nope, that's an entirely different book. <laughs> <laughs> this is a severely underordered Return of Superman crossover, and it is H.O.T., so yes, I uh, bought this issue because I read about it in Wizard, and I was super excited about it. And this was two issues before the Emerald Twilight storyline. Right. This is towards the tail end of Hal Jordan's kind of reign as Green Lantern. The next issue, 47, is a, is a great cover. It's got the Green Lantern, Green Arrow. That yeah, that yes, up, I remember that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which I also really had to search for as a kid to find. Uh, and then, then yes, we're, we're two issues away from Emerald Twilight.
1: So you want to hear something funny?
2: yes
1: this number one book is now selling on ebay for three (laughs) dollars
2: i thought as much how funny is that that is
1: moon Knight 55 is going for a couple hundred dollars this book that is number one on wizard in november of 93 is three (laughs) bucks oh man what a shame
2: it's a great cover (laughs)
1: It and is a beautiful cover, though. You know I what? like this cover For
2: a lot. $3, you can't go wrong.
1: And that is the top 10 books of November of 1993.
3: Hey there geeks, Adam calling in on the Bloodlines hotline this time around to talk to you about a mostly forgotten event that took place over all the DC Comics annuals in 1993 called Bloodlines. We were originally going to cover this on the main show in our Robbins Reading Rainbow segment when Wizard covered the event, but that coverage never happened. So here we are playing catch-up, which according to Rob Liefeld is exactly what DC was doing with this event on his observations podcast. Rob claims DC was chasing the image train, wanting to create new edgy characters, and the name Bloodlines was clearly meant to leech off the popularity of his own Young Blood comic. You could draw your own conclusions on that. Now, Bloodlines begins in Lobo Annual number one, where the main man is teamed up with the members of Legion and hits on a punker chick with a purple mohawk named Layla, who doesn't take kindly to his sexual harassment, kneeing Lobo in the groin and slapping him around when he gets fresh. Eventually, she uses a pendant to hypnotize the bad boy bounty hunter into being a literal puppy on a leash that bows to her commands. It should be noted that the credits page states that Layla is created by Alan Grant and Christian Alamy. I'm curious to know if this was how DC was trying to compete with Image, giving their creative teams rights to the new characters they were creating. I don't know. I'd be very curious to hear the behind the scenes on that. Anyway, back to the story. A quartet of armor-plated aliens, identified mainly by a single color, whether they were red, blue, orange, yellow, or green, are hiding out on a planet where Lobo and Layla are seeking to capture a group of space pirates. These aliens show not only their ability to shapeshift, but also how they feed, mainly by a xenomorph-like tube that shoots out of their mouths and into the spinal column of the victim, with which they suck out the spinal fluid. After most of her crew is slaughtered, Layla too becomes a victim, but unlike the others, she is resurrected shortly after Lobo carries her to safety. Though alive once more, Layla has amnesia and discovers she has gained superhuman abilities like flight, invulnerability, and super strength. Meanwhile, the aliens decide they need to find a new planet where they can feed and set course for Earth. Now, I did not read every installment of this event, nor was it necessary. Each of these annuals is a self-contained story involving the same set of aliens killing people in the DC universe, with a few of them coming back with superpowers the way Layla did. So, really, each Annual is just an origin story for a new hero or anti-hero that DC hoped would be the next big thing. Now as far as I know, the character of Hitman was the only notable creation that sprung from this event that ended up having a popular ongoing title at least. The stories themselves don't really amount to much so allow me to introduce you to the forgotten heroes of Bloodlines and their powers. So, in Flash Annual number 6, we are introduced to a new hero called Argus who is created by Mark Wade and Phil Hester. An undercover FBI agent named Nick Kelly is discovered as a mole and is about to be executed by a mobster when two of the aliens break into the warehouse they're in, feed on Nick as the main course, and he wakes up only to eventually be told by his boss that he has to hide out and lay low because now he's been found out. But Nick can't help but break up a mugging where he discovers he has thermal vision like the Predator, enhanced reflexes, and can filter light waves through his body, making him, quote, practically transparent when in deep shadows. He somehow puts together leather body armor with Teflon fiberglass trim, Kevlar weave, and ceramic nunchucks to avoid metal detectors, which seems like an odd concern. I mean, is he going to an airport or inner city high school to enact his vigilante justice, whatever his reasoning, the outfit is probably the coolest of any of the bloodlines' heroes that we'll encounter. Ultimately, Argus, though he never calls himself that in the story, teams up with Wally West, Flash, and they battle the aliens. With the green alien seemingly incinerated by an exploding gas truck. Now, in New Titans Annual number nine, we meet a teenage girl named Courtney that becomes a superpowered being named Anima, who, along with her younger brother feels neglected by their workaholic father and steals his credit card for a day of fun in new orleans these kids are stupid though They are ecstatic about having sold the credit card to a stranger for a hundred bucks, obviously not understanding how much they lost in the deal. Meanwhile, there is a voodoo con man named Joe Christmas in the swabs heading up a cult, which the pink and blue aliens observe, and transforming themselves into human form, present themselves as voodoo gods that have been summoned, requesting that victims be kidnapped for sacrifice, or in their case, feeding. Courtney and her brother are among Abducted, and she gets the old spinal tap treatment. In case you were wondering about the new titans of the title, they are assigned by the government to investigate these disappearances or something like that. And there is a melee with the aliens. Again, the titular heroes of these books are not the focus of these stories, but I have to mention that the writing of this book is horrible like with zero characterization. Everybody talks the same, including Starfire, who acts like she was born on Earth and watched a lot of television. It's just so off-putting. Anyway, a resurrected Courtney discovers there is another being inside her named Animus, who she can project as a demonic astral form and she can have it fight people for her. She can also fly and has some form of super agility. At the end of the story, she actually does just fly away from her father and brother saying she has changed and presumably going on to further adventures. It's weird because on the cover she's called Anima, but in the book it's Animus, so I'm not sure what's going on there. There's so little of this character in the book anyway, it's kind of hard to feel invested in her story or look forward to new installments. Now, in Superman Annual number 5, we meet another female protagonist named Myriad, created by Dan Jurgens, who appears to be a character named Sasha, previously murdered by Lex Luthor in an earlier Superman comic for humiliating him with her martial arts prowess in a training session. Her body was dumped in a landfill, and now her her father, who is a LexCorp janitor, the police and cyborg Superman are looking for Sasha, which makes Lex nervous. Yes, this event was actually going on during the Reign of the Superman arc. Kind of seems like overkill to have this much going on in the same year. But anyway, suffering from amnesia, Sasha awakens in the dump and, staggering into a nearby health spa, touches a nosy middle-aged woman named Muriel in the locker room and absorbs her identity. The problem is, she doesn't also take on the form of the person so all her friends demand answers as to why this younger woman is impersonating muriel dressing in her clothes taking her car next sasha touches a male gang member after she crashes her car in an alleyway and becomes him which is strange she, she starts hitting on women in the street saying what's wrong can't handle the real man it's very confusing cyborg superman finally locates sasha and takes her to a lexcorp lab where they want to wake her up to get answers about her neck wound and what that has to do with the metagene in her DNA. And I think she got in some type of fight. That's why she was knocked out. I don't even remember. But anyway, Lex wants to protect the truth, so he sets off an explosion as a diversion, so Superman will have to go down into the lower levels and save the day. Meanwhile, Sasha is awakened, put in a helicopter with an assassin posing as a doctor, and in a struggle, absorbs that killer's identity, but now claiming the powers work a little differently, their psychic linked she forces the assassin to shoot herself then lands the helicopter that she has rigged to explode and she walks away claiming this new identity of myriad so yeah it sounds like at first she was absorbing personalities couldn't control it and now she can just absorb abilities and powers of people i don't i don't know that that one was kind of murky i would think dan jurgens would offer something better but there you go In Hawkman Annual Number 1, we are introduced to an angry young man of mixed Cambodian and African-American heritage who claims in angst that he is too Asian for the black kids and too black for the Asian kids so he can't fit in anywhere at school where he is an outcast. Hence why he names himself Mongrel, wearing a long green trench coat, Egyptian ankh earrings, and ripped jeans. He finds romance with a Vietnamese girl named Nu, who he takes to an underground class for metahumans called netherworld but they won't let him in because he's not a freak man, this kid can't win. The final straw is when Nu says her parents won't let them date. After he also has just been beaten by his abusive uncle, then Mongrel gets into a fight with a gangbanger bully, which leads to a suspension from school. Filled with rage, he takes to the back alleys where he meets the pink alien, who's going by the name Lissick, who is in the form now of an attractive red-haired woman. She seduces him and offers to give Mongrel the power to hurt everyone who has ever hurt him. She feeds and he gains powers that involve shooting off energy blasts from his hands which he can use to propel himself and larger explosive pulses which Mongrel shows off at a school dance he was not invited to causing chaos, very Carrie kind of moment. Then he returns home to kill his uncle. Yeah this kid has no heroic intentions. The story is told in alternating timelines so we only see Hawkman really in the present as he and Mongrel are battling the aliens with Hawkman trying to keep the angry kid from destroying and killing everyone around him, for which Mongrel shows no remorse. Hawkman is approached by a policewoman at one point who calls him Katar Hall, but he reveals he's not that Hawkman, which was kind of an interesting wrinkle. I know they rebooted Hawkman many times, so I'm very curious as to what this version ultimately was. In the end, the aliens get away, Mongrel is swearing that he'll get revenge on Lysik, and then everybody else. Ooh, yeah, he's a bad boy. Now, in Robin Annual number two, we get the story of Ray, aka Razor Sharp, aka Razor, yeah, she's got a lot of names there, who is part of a cyber hacker group called the Cyber Rats, who climb up corporate buildings and steal encrypted computer data they sell to a crime boss called the Collector for cash. This character is a total brat, she's rude to everyone, including her friends, and Robin, when he shows up just as they base jump with parachutes off a high rise. He's trying to save them. They don't need saving. Of course, Ray winds up in a warehouse where the aliens are hiding out and they feed on her. When she wakes up without amnesia, she chews out her buddy Hackrat and during the tantrum, her arms turn into long, shiny metallic blades, which are a total ripoff of the T-1000 from Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Meanwhile, their other friend Channel ends up like Max Headroom living inside the television and basically able to kind of take on different personas, control the programming that happens on any TV screen. It's unclear, though, how the aliens caused that particular transformation because it's not really physical. It's, I don't know, it's an energy change. Th- that one seems like it doesn't line up with what the world they've presented. Anyway, that's her whole deal. Razor-sharp arm blades. So as the story plays out, Robin forces his way into their revenge scheme on the Collector in order to keep Razor from killing the criminal and regretting it, but she seems determined to become a murderer, saying, I'm not a member of your Boy Scout troop. I didn't want these powers, but I'll use them if that means I have to spill a little blood. She doesn't even finish the thought there. Anyway, Robin's constant nagging seems to curb her homicidal tendencies by the end of the battle as they plummet out of a window and Razor saves Robin with her parachute. It should be mentioned that all this is happening during the Nightfall saga, with Robin having just been kicked out of the Batcave by Jean-Paul Valley a.k.a. Azrael, a.k.a. Asbats. Yeah, there's a lot of names going around here in the Batman universe. This was definitely the most in-and-out appearance by the aliens, though, because they literally just showed up long enough to bequeath some powers by sticking that thing in her neck, and then they disappeared. In Action Comics Annual number 5, we have a hot-headed former member of Maggie Sawyer's SCU unit named Eddie Walker that was crippled in a high-speed pursuit and has fallen to the point of suicide when he gets a call that he is being let back on the force to work a case of homeless people being killed. He encounters the alien Lysic in her seductress form and her cohort then feeds on Walker from behind. Later, we see the Eradicator Superman is patrolling the city where Lysic senses his power and wishes to feed on him. So she jumps off a building to be rescued as a damsel in distress. But then her attempt to feed on him is interrupted by the Man of Steel's hard skin that she just can't get through and Superman knocks out the alien. Meanwhile, Walker wakes up able to walk. But not only that, he's now seven feet tall, naked, with blue skin and big muscles. He's basically Beast from the X-Men with Fabio hair. He sees Lysic unconscious, and then Walker basically says, I don't really know who she is, but she sort of looks familiar. So he decides that he's going to carry her off. But Eradicator Superman then assumes they are both up to no good, and punches Walker across town, where he wakes up to see a poster of Armour, in T2, there's that movie again, and decides to get himself some jeans and a leather jacket to match the action movie icon. Taking giant Hulk-like leaps, Walker continues the fight with Eradicator Superman while battling the whole crew of aliens who show up to rescue their fallen comrade. During this, we discover that Walker changes color to red when he's angry, but he gets no additional powers from this transformation as far as I can tell. The aliens flee and Eradicator Superman blows up part of the bridge after shooting out an energy blast towards the aliens who were near a leaking gas truck. The super Imposter only returns to the scene to help repair the bridge at the urging of Walker, who reminds him of all the innocent people whose lives are at stake. At the end of the fight, Maggie Sawyer approaches the big blue freak and gets a hint that he might be Eddie Walker, but he bounds away saying he's, quote, just a loose cannon. The final panels find him reverting back to his crippled human form in his apartment, unclear if he can ever change back. So this loose cannon is a Jeff Loeb and Lee Motor creation. Finally, in Legion of Superheroes Annual Number 4, we get the most 90s creation of all, Jam. He's a San Francisco skateboarder with a backwards baseball cap, long blonde hair, and wild patterned sweatshirt who hates his step parents, loves hot babes, and talks with a lot of 90s faux surfer slang. Interrupting an attack on a homeless person, Jam is fed on by the red alien but the feeding is interrupted by a member of the legion of superheroes who apparently is in the 20th century called Timberwolf and all three are transported back to the future via the time cube. After a battle with the alien who teleports away Jam is introduced to the legion members and recognizes his new power he can make anybody do what he says. So what does he use it for? To make the female legionnaires take their clothes off of course. Then he makes them go to the beach with him Introduce him to the coolest rock band in the galaxy, take him to a planet of Amazon women, and make him an awesome hoverboard to zip around on. Jam also has to force the male members of the team not to hassle him. When the galaxy is under attack by space zombies, Jam has to release his control over the team so they can save the day, and he learns a valuable lesson about responsibility and power before returning to the 20th century with his hoverboard. Not gonna lie, this is my favorite book to read for the pure ridiculous ridiculousness of it. It's so of its era, such the wizard attitude, misogynistic, everything else. It was just so bad, but so good. There were way more tie-in issues to this event, by the way, but these were all I dare treat and I'm sure all you want to hear about. But there was a tie-in set of trading cards released as well that Jason from the Retro Network sent me a few packs of. And it's literally just a character profile art or maybe some panels from the comics, but very lackluster, kind of like this whole, Bloodline saga as far as I can tell. Like I said, Argus was the coolest looking, Jam was the most ridiculously fun, and Hitman was the only survivor to make an impact, but I couldn't even get a hold of the issue of the demon that he debuted in. It's plain to see why this failed crossover, didn't even register really as a blip on Wizard's radar. It wasn't due to a DC bias, it was just a throwaway attempt to appeal to the younger readers that wanted attitude and violence by this company that was the epitome of old-fashioned. I remember reading once that Azrael becoming Batman was meant to be a commentary by the Batman editorial staff on the futility of grim and gritty comics, that whole trend that was happening. And I have a feeling Bloodlines was meant as a similar statement. So could point to that and say see it didn't sell this is uh, just a fad yeah but what do i know you know i'm just a guy reading this 30 years too late if you were a fan reach out to us on social media let us hear your defense of bloodlines or what good came out of it i know there were kind of reboots of the characters and in the new 52 and other things so that's the end of that wait wait don't go. I've got a Bloodlines update here. At the time of this recording, I ended up going to a used bookstore and managed to pick up a couple comics that actually were part of ongoing titles for characters that debuted in the Bloodlines saga. That's right. The first one was Anima number two. Remember I told you I wasn't super interested in her story? Well, this didn't get much better. The cover's pretty intense in that it has the scarecrow from Batman's rogues gallery grabbed Anima by the hair, who's all tied up in a rope, and he's got a huge syringe he's about to stab into her. This book itself is really trippy. It's got weird, weird art and a lot of, I guess, 90s hipster language. Anima seems to be connected with a bunch of street kids. There's a bunch of people that are doing heroin in the opening pages. Like, it's a very adult concept book, seemingly. And there's this group called New Dawn that is claiming. They're helping people to get off of drugs. But really, it's run by the scarecrow under the guise of being uh, Dr. Egret. And he's got this dream machine where he's trying to find the fear element and then get people to manifest it, much like anima's animus. The only thing that I really enjoyed about this book is there's a funny moment where one of the street kids has joined up with this group. And uh, he goes, Doc, I'm no crackhead. I don't even drink. I'm straight. Edge all the way. I came for the babes. You gotta believe me. Want I should heh, administer a sedative, Doc? Yeah, <laughs> sedative. That won't be necessary, Beavis. <laughs> So they made Beavis and Butthead two orderlies that worked in this clinic. So that was very of the time, very hilarious. But yeah, it was interesting because this book actually came out a year after the Bloodline storyline in 1994. And then two years later, there was a book featuring my favorite character from Bloodlines, Argus, called Argus, The Eyes of Justice. It was a six-issue mini series, and I got issue number one here. Now, it's kind of crazy because they they have updated his costume and it looks terrible like now he's got this giant red eye that is in the middle of his chest and they, they've just like taken away the sleek look that made him cool and in fact they address that on the opening page miracles happen I was able to get this bike and new suit from McAllister beats fighting the bad guys naked so literally the first thing they say is yep new costume I don't know who McAllister is but he says the name about five or six times in a row. Uh, In his opening dialogue, as he's essentially explaining, I guess if I lived out here, I could have had the cash for McAllister's best suit, the one that would fit under my clothes. Anyway, McAllister, McAllister, McAllister. Ultimately, he fights some Flash villain who had super slick armor, and he's able to get him to break his armor apart. He finds the release button. It's better than I would have expected, because it goes into his history. It teaches you that his dad was maybe involved in the mob, and he was a kid who was asked to participate. And then there's this mystery that says he killed his dad, so you don't know what's going on there. But the main thing that this helps with is that it actually explains what Argus means. Because as you'll recall, in the annual appearance, he doesn't call himself Argus. He never explains what that means. And here, uh, we actually get an explanation uh, about uh, what Argus is. And apparently it has to do with Greek mythology, which I never knew, okay? so he says, he says, I recognize this one. He's Argus, right? Smart boy, yeah. Argus, a follower, a fighter. But he screwed up. Stood up against Mr. Big God, against Zeus. Argus started believing he had some strength, some power, all because he had a hundred eyes. And every one of them eyes must have been blind because he had no vision. So, yeah, apparently this is somebody from Greek mythology who had a hundred eyes. And so that is why he now has an eye on his costume. But like I say again, it kind of ruins the whole mystique of the character although it's a very well-drawn book it's a very well-paced book the dialogue makes sense which is not something i could say for anima Something I found interesting about both these books is that they make literally no mention at all of how these characters got their powers. It might have something to do with the fact that Bloodlines wasn't a huge hit. I mean, you would think they would say something about, I got my powers from some aliens. I never thought that it would manifest this way, or something like that. It's just there is zero mention of the actual origin of these characters, and when you look back at all the Bloodlines characters, the powers are so very and strange it really doesn't make sense that they would get powers from the same source so I guess it was just a way of eliminating any confusion but anyway I just thought I was worth an update based on the fact that I said most of these characters didn't survive well apparently I was wrong but next time around I'm very excited I get to bring you coverage of the Gen 13 miniseries yes it's finally here and I couldn't be more excited you know I'm not on the main episode episodes right now, but at least I can get a few comics read and share my thoughts with you. And I've actually never read the full miniseries. I was much more into the ongoing series. So this is actually going to be fresh to me, and I can't wait to share it with you. But now, back to you, Michael.
1: The Amazing art section... In the issue, they're calling it The Drawing Board. I don't know if they changed the name, but they're showcasing the art of comic book fans. And I wanted to mention that we're probably gonna be ending this segment because it's just me fumbling through explaining what it's about, but I'm gonna go through the stuff here. So what it says in this issue is, all printed submissions this month win a copy of supreme number one signed by brian murray a copy of warriors of plasm which we've covered on the youtube series and talking about in this podcast signed by dave lapham and a copy of wild star number one signed by jerry ordway and the two runner-ups will receive all that cool stuff and a copy of gold x-men 2099 number one signed by ron Lim. the best entry this month will win everything i said plus a copy of gold turok number one signed by bart sears congratulations to all okay so the first place winner it says wild star by jason Kunkel from Petersburg, Virginia, and it is sort of like a silhouette, almost like a granite or graphic or like graphite kind of a texture on the paper. It almost looks like it's sort of three-dimensional in a way. It's a really cool drawing. I'm not really sure who this character is. It says Wildstar, but I'm not sure who Wildstar is, <laughs> to be honest with you. But it's a very cool drawing. Uh, I'm glad they're actually saying who these people are, at least for the winners. So the second prize winner is Exo Manawar by Spencer Ledford from Summersville, South Carolina and it is a pretty cool drawing of Exo Manowar though i may not particularly like the costume of Exo Manowar it's a pretty neat drawing the third prize winner is a drawing of Solar Man of the Atom by Patrick Brown from Queens Village, New York. If you ask me, I think this is the best of the three prize winners. It's a it's Solar looking through a reflection of himself in the mirror, but it's like his pre man of the atom look. The textures looks really, really nice. I'm surprised this wasn't the winner, but you know, they don't say what made each one stand out over the other, which I'm kind of curious about. The next one we have is by Julian Scott from Houston, Texas, and it is of bloodshot holding the wizard cloak and standing in the moonlight sort of silhouetted and holding a samurai or like katana blade type of sword the next one is by roger beckett from detroit michigan and i'm not sure who this character is he's sort of green and blue almost in like a skin textured camouflage i guess you would say i don't really know who it is but it's he's in front of all kinds of explosions and stuff it's pretty cool looking i'm, I'm i dig it i just don't know who it is Playboy! the next one i oh man i'm gonna get beat up on social media for this adam uh stoller from Hillsboro, oregon drew what looks like, you know, a lot of the image characters in sort of like Dilbert form, I guess you could say, or maybe even Simpson's form. I think it's more Dilberty, but you have like Spawn and Savage Dragon and uh what's his name? I just said it. You know, Wild Star and a bunch of these other characters. It's really kind of funny and, and cool. I just, I'm going to get doubly destroyed because I don't know all the characters from Image and I'm forgetting which art style this is. Anyway, so the next one we have here is by Aneth. It's, I think it's Logamo from... Hawaii wow and I don't know who this particular character is that that uh, aneth is drawing, but it's like a woman sitting in a, a river or a stream. Her hair is kind of blue silver and it's sort of flowing in the water if it is as if it's almost like an extension of the water. It's really really cool. There's some sort of like flower growing out of the water It's pretty neat I, I, I'm very impressed I don't know this character. Play the next one we have is by Ignacio Menes from San Diego, California. And it is of DC's Dead Man, sort of flying through the wizard himself. And it's really cool. I like it a lot. It says it's issue number 666, which is pretty funny if you ask me. The next one we have is by Tak Toyashima from Brookline, Massachusetts. And it is of Sabretooth, basically just slaughtered and killed Wolverine and he's carrying Wolverine in one of his hands, or at least the head of Wolverine I should say, and uh, his other hand is covered in blood the body is really scary looking and like gigantic proportions are very Rob Liefeld-ish it's a it's a very cool interesting piece of art the next one is by Quinn Taylor from Greenport New York have you ever been to Greenport New York it's a beautiful town to go visit it's really really nice and it is that um Magnus robot hunter guy and every time people draw this Magnus robot hunter guy he never has a face He has no face, and I don't understand the outfit that they gave this character. It doesn't make any sense. This particular drawing, the arms are weirdly structured. They're kind of like almost jagged, as if they're like boulders or something like that. I just don't get. Magnet robot hunter and the lack of a face is always so weird so the next thing is by charles hermoselia and willie Mangalabong, and this is from there this is submitted from guam wow, that's pretty cool this is of psylocke and she is standing in front of the wizard logo with her two swords and she's sort of like sliced the top of the wizard's hat off of the wizard's head. That's the only thing that's, like, the wizard cloak and hat are the only things that are in color. Everything else is pencil sketch, which I really like. And the wizard is saying, hot dog, an X-Man for a bodyguard. What more could I want except for a new hat? (laughs) It's pretty funny. I like it. It's pretty clever. The next one is by Steven or Pem from Danvers, Massachusetts. And it is of Azrael on the cover of wizard magazine. It's really, really cool. It's like, it's almost all in silhouette other than like the Azrael mask. It's the, the red Azrael, not the, the Batman Azrael version. The next one we've got is by Joseph Gould from Weymouth, Massachusetts. And it is of, I think it's an Archie character. I think it's Betty from the Archie comics she's wearing a wizard t-shirt and there's like fruit or something all falling behind her and i don't fully get it but it's it's funny and the last one we have is by byron valera another submission from guam wow very interesting and this is of these are two image characters again um I forget the the characters names. One has, you know, white hair with a red costume and she's holding a couple of, you know, machine guns or or guns of some sort. And the other one is the character, she's got like black hair and a purple outfit and like gold boots. It's a very cool looking drawing. It's again one of those things where I just don't remember these characters. Play This is the problem that I've been running into is there's so many characters that are coming out that it's just so hard to keep up with. And it's very challenging at times. So that's our amazing art section. And like I said, this is probably going to be the last time we're going to be doing the amazing art section in the mini episodes. We might do it on the YouTube series or something. We'll figure out a way to showcase these artists and this work. But I feel like, honestly, it's kind of boring to listen to me describe to you guys what the art looks like. So it's, it's, I feel like it's better if we come up with a more creative and cool way to showcase the art.
3: Yeah, it's time for a hunkin'. Babe of the Month. Now, uh, I will prepare you for this one. Wizard was not known for being woke. So here we go as the Babe of the Month is... Mantra. This is a first here in hunkin', babe. Now, don't get me wrong. We've had some pretty odd folks come through these pages. Thunder gods, cyborgs, Amazons, mutants. Hey, every day's a party, but Mantra here is a first. Though at first, she certainly looks like a babe. She's... I mean, he's really a guy. You see, she's... It's real name is Lukaj, and it's a spirit or something that can enter and possess other people's bodies. And right now, it's in a her. Although it is a he, which makes this the most confusing babe entry ever. Still, A babe's a babe. So yeah, Wizard, not quite sure where to take this one. Interestingly enough, they played it safe as you look there. It seems like they didn't make any offensive or damage control worthy commentary on this babe. They just said, hey, she's hot. We don't care the origin. And hey, there you go, Wizard. Maybe you're more woke than we thought. Now let's go on over to Annie Flowers with our hunk of the month.
0: This month's hunk is Ripclaw. Straight from the pages of Cyberforce comes Robert Bearclaw, better known to you comic fans as Warbl- No, wait, that's the Wildcats guy. So this must be Ripclaw, the other pointy finger guy. Aside from his metal shape-shifting hands, the tattoos, makeup on his face, his very white body, depending on who's coloring him at the time, and his slightly hairy bod, Robert Bearclaw, Italian, he's your normal run-of-the-mill A-class stud. They're calling this guy Italian, but based on his hair and makeup or tattoos, I think he looks vaguely Japanese or something, definitely not Italian. This guy is ripped, that's for sure. Lots of, uh, lots of muscles there, and a nice little loincloth to go with his fancy surfboard. This possibly Asian hunk is going to go surfing, and that's our hunk of the month.
3: Thanks, Annie. And now, back to you, Stephen. Hey, this is Stephen with...
2: Homemade Heroes. Homemade Heroes. Homemade Heroes. Homemade Heroes. So we start with a picture of Homer Simpson uh, on Superman's body. And it says, "Dope." Super Homer comes from Bob tora grossa of staten island new york we have no idea what figures body he used but the head is pretty obvious so yeah the head is obviously the homer simpson toy from the simpsons 1990 action figure line which my brother and i had every single one of we got it for christmas that year the body uh they say they don't know what it is but to me it's obviously hulk hogan's body from the hasbro wwf line from that same year uh very muscular He's got the Gorilla Press feature. And yeah, they just kind of painted Superman's colors and symbol onto the body and plopped that Homer head on there. So looks pretty cool. Next up, we have Joseph Brown of Stoughton, Massachusetts crafted this Starhawk figure from a Silver Surfer figure. Great job, Joseph. Once again, got this Silver Surfer toy uh, for Christmas 1990. It was a Toy Biz toy. It was a very kind of generic looking figure aside from the silver paint. So it, I can see why you would use this as a, you know, a custom figure. You can kind of paint anything on it. It looks really cool. It's got like a nice blue, bluish green tone with a yellow starburst belt and these kind of big yellow wings. Uh, It's a neat looking figure. Finally, the winner this month is from Rob Romer of Lexington, Kentucky. And it says, winner, we have no clue what this incredible war machine figure was made from, but it sure looks good. So once again, they don't know what anything was made from. But uh, yeah, it's a really cool looking figure to me. It looks like the Toy Biz Iron Man figure with some sort of armor from other toys on it. I sort of recognize it. Huh? Wonder what that is. If anyone knows, please tell us. But it's got like a really cool War Machine graffiti backdrop. So yeah, that's it. Those are the three for this issue. So yeah, thanks for listening. Now, the
1: next thing we're going to dive into is the Wizard Contest for contest number 28. And I'm going to change the game here. This is going to be totally new and going forward this is kind of what I want to try to do with these quizzes. Normally I try to fumble my way through the questions and see if I can come up with the answers and then we started putting it out on Twitter to see if people can answer with us. But I want to make it little bit more of an incentive, right? So what we're going to do going forward is I'm going to go over the contest questions. We'll read them out. We're going to share them on our Twitter. If you can answer all of the questions correctly and unscramble the answer, we will send you a prize. Here are the rules. You must live in the Continental 48 states of the United States. We can't ship to Canada, we can't ship to Hawaii, Alaska, Puerto Rico, or wherever else we're getting people to listen to us. It has to be the, the contiguous United States. And the prizes may vary from a wizard's sticker to whatever cool stuff we can come up with that we can send you as an exclusive prize for being the first person to solve all the questions in the quiz and unscramble the highlighted letters to win the prize. So in this particular contest, they are featuring ninjack. and I saw on Twitter our friend NerdJamRoom, who's a also a subscriber to our Patreon, said that he answered a couple of them already, and he said this is really hard because it's mostly valiant questions, and I flat out am like, oh boy, I'm really in trouble because I'm not going to know a lot of any of this. And these questions look pretty Tough. So the grand prize is an uncut sheet of Ninjak Number 1's chromium cover framed and autographed by artists Joe Casada, Jimmy Palmiotti, and John Sabarello. Yeah, sure. Oh boy. The second prize is a copy of Gold Ninjak No. 1 and a limited edition Ninjak chromium postcard, both signed by Joe Casada. Or a copy of gold Turok number one, and a limited edition Turok Chromium promo card, both signed by artist Bart Sears, your choice. We don't have those prizes, but this is what Wizard was giving away at that time. The third prize, a limited edition ninja Chromium card, Signed by Joe Casada, or a copy of Gold Dr. Mirage number one, signed by Bernard Chang. Your choice. And there's a fourth prize for a hundred people if they can get it right a copy of Ninjack number one, signed by Joe Casada, who must have been very tired by signing all of these things, or a copy of Secret Weapons number one, signed by Joe St. Pierre. Okay, so as i said i'm gonna read out the questions and we're gonna basically i'm not even gonna give any answers because i'm not gonna know any answers to be perfectly honest with you but the the challenge is for you guys to answer it completely and solve the unscrambled word question number one what is bloodshot's new secret identity and it is two words the first word is seven letters the second word is also seven letters and it appears that there are two highlighted boxes there the third letter on the first word and the second letter on the second word i have no idea number two who does ninjak worked for and it is two words the first word is three letters the second word is nine letters okay And the the unscramble letter is the third letter in the second word. Question number three. Who is Natalie Toyenby? Seven letters. And the last letter is the unscramble letter. Who does the Eternal Warrior aid from time to time? If you'd ask me, it's Wizard Magazine because they were giving away those Eternal Warrior number ones like it was Tic Tacs. (laughs) It's unbelievable how many they gave away. So anyway, number four. Who does Eternal Warrior aid? aid from time to time, other than Wizard Magazine. And the first word is seven letters, the second word is six letters, and it is the third letter in the second word that is the unscramble word, okay. Number five, who was responsible for Ken Clarkson's losing his left arm? You got me, no idea. And it's like 10 letters, yikes. And the third letter in is the unscramble word. Number six, what is Archer's first name? It is seven letters. Letters three and four are the unscramble letters, okay? And the last one, number seven, who is Shadow Man's housekeeper? Six letters. The fifth letter is the unscramble letter. And the unscramble answer is two words. The first word is four letters. The second word is five letters. And that is the contest. And like I said, if you can answer all seven of those and unscramble the word and let us know on Twitter, at Wizards Comics, we'll send you a prize. You have to be the first one to answer correctly. We could say go by the honor system, but let's be honest, everyone's going to Google it. I really don't care. It's fine by me. If you can be the first to get all these answers and unscramble the word, We'll send you a prize. Remember, you have to be in the continental United States, though. And that is the quiz for issue
3: 28. Hey, geeks. Before Michael wraps things up here, I just wanted to give you the scoop on the awesome extras we have coming up on Wizards the Patreon Guide to Comics in February. First of all, if you haven't listened to it yet, the premiere episode of 90s Super Cinema covering Batman 89 is up for free to stream on Patreon as a preview and it's chock full of Batmania from Michael and Steven. Now episode 2 has already been selected via Twitter poll and you have chosen 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Cowabunga! We'll be bringing that totally to popular podcast to our Patreon subscribers in the Crystals, Cronies, and Big Cheese tiers this March. But you don't have to wait a month to get exciting new videos and podcasts, oh no. This weekend we're dropping a Valentine's Day special as a bonus for the members of our Patreon Cool Corps, where we'll be talking about comic book crushes. Now, Michael and Steven are super embarrassed by the topic, which is why they demanded it be a Patreon exclusive available only to our subscribers, and it's going to be hilarious as a result. You want to watch them squirm? Also in February, our Viewer's Choice video for Crystal's Cronies and Big Cheese patrons will find the three of us showing off the most valuable comics in our collections. Now, I can tell you that mine is a truly surprising book at least in how it's presented yet totally on brand for me. Finally, this month we'll also be holding our geek group chat with the Big Cheese crew on Zoom. And judging by our first outing, there's no telling where this conversation will go. It could be music, movies, crazy collectibles. It's a free-for-all of fanboy fun. So, how do you get in on all this exclusive content? It's easy and affordable. Just visit patreon.com forward slash wizardscomics and choose one of three memberships tiers. For just $3 a month you become one of Poof's Pals which entitles you to unedited episodes of the podcast delivered one week early, plus other bonus videos we create from time to time. For $5 a month you become one of Crystal's cronies and get not only the early release episodes where Michael swears like a sailor, but also a monthly installment of the Patreon exclusive podcast, 90s Super Cinema, and a viewer's choice video where you select the topic. For those who want it all, you could pay just $7 a month to become a big cheese patron. You'll get every perk of the other tiers, plus join the exclusive Geek Group chat each month on Zoom, where you'll get to ask the Wizards hosts anything you want, and hear stories that won't be shared anywhere else. Once you're subscribed, you'll get an email notification when new podcasts or videos appear for your tier, and you can just stream them right from the site. It's really simple. If you've been afraid of checking out Patreon, it really isn't that complicated. So head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Wizards Comics now and subscribe today. Now Wizards, the Patreon guide to comics, is the best way for you to support the show and keep it growing so we can continue to bring you more nostalgic 90s comics fun. And hey, you get a lot more entertainment in return. Plus, our cool core patrons have told us they want to hang out with you. It's like a private Comic-Con meetup every month, and the more the merrier okay Michael take it home so I wanted
1: to discuss the what I'm reading because I've been trying to read a lot of different stuff and mix up my selection of comics because I've been getting kind of bored of the same old thing and certain stories get a little stale over time and I have been reading a lot of the DC black label stories and if you don't know what DC black label is It's kind of like DC's replacement for Vertigo, but DC still sort of owns the properties. And they can be a little bit more violent, a little bit scarier. They can use curse words. They can be darker and so on and so forth. The first one I read was a one-shot called The Last God, Songs of Lost Children by Dan Waters, Steve Beach, and Dave Stewart. I thought the art was really beautiful in it. There's some terrifying like monsters and such that are in it. It's a very interesting little story. I think it ties into a larger book, but I haven't f- quite figured out what it is. I just saw it cuz it was a, a one shot. It's a cool cover. The main character, she's kind of like a a knight of some sort or she I think she's a princess actually in the move in the book and she's standing in a pool of blood and it's really cool looking and like a castle is pouring blood out of it. It's a very interesting little one shot. It was a quick read. I, I definitely enjoyed it. The second thing I'm reading right now is, you're going to laugh, you know, believe it or not, is Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey DC Black Label. And these type of DC Black Labels, they're, they're very cool in the sense that they're a unique style and they are not made to fit into any bags and boards. They're almost like bookshelf kind of stories. They're like, I'd say, 10 inches by 12 inches, and they're, and they're a unique size, that you can get a lot more art on the page. Mainly the reason why I picked this up, as opposed to the Harley Quinn, Emancipation of Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey movie, that it is what it is. This particular book is by artist... Amanda Connor, who I love Amanda Connor. I think she's so cool. She draws some of the most cool, unique characters. It's also uh, written by Jimmy Palmiotti, who we've talked about a million times in Wizard, and also with Paul Mounts. And so far, I think the fourth issue came out this week, but the art is really cool. The story is very fun. It doesn't take itself super seriously, but it's got Harley Quinn, Black Canary, Huntress. It's got Cassandra Cain and actually giving Cassandra Cain some sort of justice. Other characters kind of pop up throughout, but it's a really, really fun story. Superman appears in the first issue, and it's a little awkward. It's weird, but it's pretty funny. I look forward to it now when it comes out because it's it's something that you can be mindless and just kind of... Disconnect and and sort of enjoy the goofiness of a story that also can be a little bit more Vulgar and a little more violent than you would normally see and that's the what I'm reading Oh, I forgot one other thing So recently on our social media we posted that I, I found a shop in Bayshore, New York called blast from the past really cool place definitely check them out on social media if you're not in the New York area definitely check them out. But one of the things that I did find, because Adam's been trying to push me to get into Madman. So they had Madman number one. And I spent eight bucks on this issue. This thing better rock because I'll be mad (laughs) if it doesn't. But I'm gonna read it and then next month I will let you guys know what I think about Madman number one. And that's the one I'm reading. And that was Wizard's mini episode 28.5. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing, checking us out on our social media, uh, at Twitter, at Wizards Comics, on Instagram, at Wizards underscore comics. You can check us out on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Wizards Comics. You can also subscribe to our YouTube series, Wizards Podcast, and you can find us on our Tee Public store. And get some sweet swag. Don't forget, when you do the quiz, let us know if you get them all right, and you submit the Unscrambled word on our Twitter, we'll send you a prize. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to keep your books bagged and boarded.
0: This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.